0: Hello, my name is Philip Merton, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion.
1: Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions, this is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution, to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now, here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Heaven at the End of Science, Philip Merriton.
0: The multiverse, dark matter, dark energy, quantum theory, string theory, the God Particle the inflationary Big Bang. Now these are all topics that have been written about constantly in the popular press and in popular science magazines. But how many people really understand what these theories are talking about and whether in fact they're really saying anything about the real world? Do scientists who pursue these topics practice science or are they actually speculating? Is it actually metaphysics? Now my guest this week, Jim Baggett, has just published a book entitled Farewell to Reality, How Modern Physics Has Betrayed the Search for Scientific Truth that takes on this topic. Now Jim Baggett is an award-winning science writer. He's a former academic chemist. He writes regularly in journals such as The New Scientist. His books have been widely acclaimed and include A Beginner's Guide to Reality, The First War of Physics, The Meaning of Quantum Physics, and Beyond Measure, Modern Physics, Philosophy, and The Meaning of Quantum Theory. So today we're going to be talking about fairy tale physics and where this giant science enterprise is going and perhaps whether we need to take another route welcome to the show Jim
1: oh thank you for having me Philip it's great to be here
0: yeah and by the way Jim is joining us from England so uh, we we should appreciate the fact that we're able to to have him on this show right now but first of all what led you to write this book
1: Um, Well, I guess the momentum uh, probably for this book had been building for uh, a a couple of years. As you've just pointed out, um, I've um, spent the last few years writing a number of books about contemporary uh, physical theory and experiment. Um, These are are books that aren't intended really to do anything other than just try to explain as best I can um, some of the ways in which... Um, modern physics understands the nature of the physical world around us. Um, in that pattern, I, I've, in that pattern of books, I've, I've, I've kept pretty closely to what um, the community of physicists understands to be true. So this is scientifically proven um, uh, uh, theory and experiment. So um, ideas around uh, you, you mentioned the God particle, the Higgs boson. Uh, You mentioned inflationary cosmology, although there's still a bigger debate about that. There is now um, um, the the beginnings of a consensus building that something like cosmic inflation must have happened at some stage shortly after the Big Bang. So uh, what I've tried to do throughout all of those books is is try to just tell people uh, this is the way that we we see the world um, on the understanding that science is constantly changing. Uh, A new piece of evidence coming tomorrow can completely reverse um, uh, the way that we think uh, the world works. Uh, But also in that time, we've seen a surge in interest in books and radio programs and TV programs about um, some of the more esoteric concepts of contemporary theoretical physics, like string theory or M-theory or the multiverse or something called the cosmological anthropic principle, And and these are aspects of modern physics where I think there is an increasing divide and detachment from what makes theories scientific. Um, So um, things came to a head for me uh, when I I watched a BBC uh, television program on uh, on BBC One, I think, in January uh, 2011, uh, the title of this program was What is Reality? And, and this program, uh, at Horizon, is a flagship program in the States. I think you have uh, NOVA, uh, which does equally um, excellent work right. in uh, popularizing modern science. Right. Um, and I was, I was watching this program, and, and within about 10 minutes after opening quite promisingly, um, the program quite simply became a showcase for this kind of what I call fairy tale physics. Physical ideas theories that that are no longer really connected with anything that we could ever possibly hope to prove scientifically. And I thought perhaps the time had come uh, really to try to provide something of an antidote to this constant um, uh, flow of, of messages about modern physics and, and just counter it, just inject a little bit of skepticism into the debate just to get people to think, hang on, is what these things these guys are telling us about is it actually true Uh, is this proven scientific theory Uh, is there experimental backup for this Um, and most of the answers to much contemporary theoretical physics is no uh, there isn't any evidence for it and in some areas there possibly will never be any evidence uh, for for this so the whole book really just questions uh, you know have we crossed the line here are we now um, and are we now doing philosophy rather than science
0: yeah, I think that's an incredibly important point to make, which I, I think that a lot of people suspect that maybe that's what is going on because I think a common complaint from the public about about modern physics, for example, is that they speak a language that most people don't understand. And there's two things that, that have always struck me. One of them is in Leon Letterman's book, The God Particle, which... Um, for those who haven't read it, he's really the one that that uh, gave the Higgs boson its popular name, the God particle. Uh, in that book, he talks about how a dream of science is that there'd be a theory that would be simple enough to put on a T-shirt. And of course, you know he's got a he's got a good sense of humor, and and probably most readers thought he was joking, but that. I think is extremely important that, that much of science to me sort of drives towards simplicity, towards something that anybody can understand. And I think that what we start seeing in things like M theory is a good example, and, and which I guess is related to string theory and the cosmic landscape is that we see physicists speaking in a language particularly higher mathematics that it takes an incredible specialist even to follow the train of thought and i you know and we will be getting into string theory a little bit here but i think it's a it's very important for for books like yours to come out there and say let you know let's let's stop the action for a second here Let's figure out really what these folks are saying and whether it's science.
1: Yeah, actually, you know, the issue isn't isn't the, the, the complex nature of the mathematics involved. Um, much of a, of what uh, so um, uh, so just to come back to to the book farewell to reality just for a second. Um, In order to explain why I feel the way I do about some aspects of contemporary theoretical physics, I felt it was quite important for me to try to spell out what it is that we currently do know and can prove uh, to a certain extent. And and, uh, the the first section of the first half of the book actually is um, really um, a very, very brief overview of what I call the authorized version of reality. So it's authorized insofar as that there's a consensus within the scientific community that these theories, the standard model of particle physics, the standard model of Big Bang cosmology, uh, quantum theory, um, special and general theories of relativity, these theories are all very, very well tried and trusted theories. Uh, There is evidence in observations, astronomical observations or measurements that they have made at uh, huge particle colliders at CERN and at Fermilab that give us some real good reasons to believe that these theories are describing something that's actually going on in, in the universe but, uh, as far as you know as we can ascertain it. Um, that is compli- complicated. Uh, that's no easy task. That's um, mathematically obtuse. Uh, it's obscure. Um, I've spent many, many hours trying to explain. Um, symmetry breaking using the Higgs mechanism, trying to find analogies or ways in which you know you can explain that. This is the role of the Higgs field, and, and the telltale particle of the Higgs field is the Higgs boson, which was eventually discovered, as most people know, I think, at CERN uh, last July. The Nobel Prize for this discovery was actually announced uh, by the Royal Swedish Academy uh, just earlier this week on Tuesday uh, to Professor Higgs, And to uh, Professor Ongler, who's Belgian. So, this is serious stuff. You don't award a Nobel Prize for something that that isn't scientific, that that cannot be proven. There will be no Nobel Prizes for string theory anytime soon because it's an unproven theory. And as I say, my my big concern is that it's possibly uh, not ever be, it will never be able to be proven uh, in the way that would satisfy um, our requirements. So I don't think it's so much about the mathematics. Um, We can actually bemoan the loss of what um, Austrian physicist Erwin Schrödinger many, many years ago um, used to talk about as visualizability. Uh, Classical mechanics, the kind of mechanics associated with Isaac Newton, the kind of of, of physics we get taught in school as as schoolchildren is visualizable we can watch projectiles being shot out of cannons and and look at the arc that they describe as they travel through the air it's visualizable it's accessible uh, the problem uh, is that we've reached a level of sophistication in physics in the development of physics where we have to reach for theories and, and mathematics that really just don't lend themselves to that kind of visualizability any longer and it means that we can't grasp it in anything other than mathematical terms. How you interpret those terms, how you explain the concepts that underlie the mathematics is the challenge for science popularizers, the kind of thing that I like to do and is being done very successfully by practicing physicists. But it's 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 not complexity that's the issue here. The issue is that is that um, All of these theories that I've mentioned, the standard models of particle physics and cosmology, special and general relativity, and quantum theory, are fantastic structures. They don't sit very comfortably uh, together. And there is inevitably an innate feeling that somewhere, perhaps, whether you can put it just on a t-shirt or not, I think would remain to be seen, but there's a feeling that somehow all of this should come together in some kind of single theory of everything. And it's the pushing for that theory of everything, um, overcoming the definite gaps that do exist in our ability to explain observable aspects of the universe, that means that we, uh, in our ambition, set aside, I think, possibly temporarily, um, but uh, make no bones about it, we set aside the demand for for proof, for evidence, and, and we allow ourselves to speculate. Now, I'm all in favor of that. So don't get me wrong, I like speculation, I like speculative theories. But at some stage in the evolution of those theories, they they somehow have to be made to reconnect with the world that we can make a measurement on or we can observe in some way. Otherwise, it's not science.
0: Right, and I think that it's important here really to define a couple terms, which you do in your book, and that is... we're all brought up with this concept of science and most people think science is a good thing and then we have on the other side we have something called religion where many people think religion is a good thing but there's different modes of belief different ways of coming to conclusions using science as opposed to religion and I think that you know it might be helpful for you to explain wh- how what what definition of science you use to evaluate what what would be fairy tale physics versus right. credible physics
1: okay so so here i I have to put my hands up um, one of the the, the the difficulties and one of the reasons in fact that I think this problem exists in the first place is that despite what you might think there is no universally accepted standard definition of what science is right. probably just as there's no universally accepted definition of what religion is right. um and it's it's a, it's a problem because um we are to a certain extent um educated to applaud the progress uh, that has come to us through science through the application of scientific methodology um, but when you get down to it um they're, they're, you, if you were to buttonhole a physicist over dinner uh, one evening if you're at a dinner party, or a biologist or a chemist or a, uh, a mathematician uh, who um, you know works in a scientific area and ask them what what does science mean, um, my, my guess is you get lots of different kinds of definitions. So one of the first things I had to do when I embarked on writing this book was to set out, okay a series of six principles that I believe um, we would all have not too much difficulty agreeing to as a a kind of definition of science. Um, But I'd be the first to admit that it gets real complicated real quickly. One of the issues that scientists often don't like to put their hands up and admit is that there are uh, large metaphysical components to science. Now, metaphysics is a fancy term. It just means something that's beyond science. It's, It's beyond physics um it's 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 kind of on the edge of, of philosophy there's a lot of things that we have to take to be contingently true in order to apply a scientific theory when the scientific theory works we get data we make observations and we're all happy that this is a, an accurate description of what's happening in the physical world we then tend to overlook a little bit the fact that we've made some assumptions we've we've had to make take some things at face value and that and that goes through, that's gone through the entire history of the development of science. You take that away and you change the nature of the language. Um, uh, Science then becomes simply a way of connecting facts as opposed to trying to get underneath the facts at at some kind of rational way of interpreting what's going on. So you first have to be clear about that. Um, But I hold great store uh, over one of the principles that I described called the testability principle, which basically means that anything, um, any theory that has a pretension towards being a scientific theory um, ought to be able to make predictions that have, have some hope at some time, maybe not immediately, but sometime in the near future, within the next 30, 40, 50 years or so, of being shown to be true or false. Um, I don't care whether it's falsifiability you want to take or whether it's um, verification um, in fact again the history of science is littered with examples that mean that it's not so easy to classify uh, different ways of thinking about scientific methodology the bottom line is can I do a test uh, can I test it are, are you telling me something that I can then go measure in a lab or I can look in the heavens and make an observation um, that then I think, is, is not too many people would argue is is an important criterion.
0: Yeah, I think but the other
1: differentiator, uh, I think, between a, a, a scientific approach to understanding the nature of the world and and an approach based on some kind of religious system, is there's a principle in science that I call the Copernican principle. And obviously it's historically traced back to Nicholas Copernicus who, as most people know, was the first to advocate the idea that the heavens didn't revolve around the Earth, um, but, in fact, that the Earth revolved around the Sun. Now, the Copernican principle and its modern uh, interpretation effectively says that we as human beings living on planet Earth are not special. We're not privileged. We are consequences of the nature of the reality that we find ourselves in, the nature of the universe that, that, that we become to, we've come to inhabit. Um, and then, in fact, if we understood enough about creation, we would be able possibly even to predict that we would result uh, from a series of, of physical mechanisms uh, that have taken place ever since the Big Bang 13.8 billion years ago.
0: Yeah, it th- of- I think it's interesting that that first of all you know the two uh, sort of elements of science that you've uh, touched upon so far which is the testability principle and the Copernican principle they're, they're sort of different because I, I think that the testability principle is something that virtually everybody would honor I mean I know that there's some scientists out there you allude to Brian Greene uh, I know that he has a passage in his book where he wants to go beyond the requirement that something is testable. But the Copernican Principle, which I want to talk about a little bit in a couple of minutes, seems to me to be sort of a an a, um, assumption uh, before the scientific enterprise begins. This is Philip Merton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're talking with Jim Faggett, the author of the new book, farewell to reality how modern physics has betrayed the search for scientific truth we're talking about the authorized version of physics and then what's wrong with the authorized version of physics now jim i I mentioned the copernican uh principle for a second and i think maybe we can get into this a little bit and i think it's it it's extremely important i think by you pointing it out there's no doubt that that is an assumption of, I think, the scientific establishment. Don't you think that quantum theory puts the Copernican principle in question? Um,
1: well, so uh, let's, let's, let's just back up a little bit. So, so any structure that purports to be about how science works is kind of by definition not scientific. It's 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 metaphysical. It's the philosophy of science. Right. Uh, so um, the fact that the Copernican principle might stand as a starting assumption is is in principle uh, fine. Like all assumptions, what you do is you gather them together, you build a framework um, based on them, and then you see how far you can go with that. Right. And I think the um, the progress of, of science over the last I don't know. 300, 400 years, depending on how far back you want to go, has, has given some grounds of, for encouragement that taking the view that um, human beings are a consequence of reality rather than the reason for reality, I think is actually a, a pretty good assumption. It allowed us to detach ourselves a little bit from and take a rather maybe dispassionate or less involved view Uh, where we're not constantly looking for purpose in the universe. Now, um, in fact, I'm I'm working on a new book at the moment, actually, where I I spell this out in in a a little uh, more detail. Um, The minute you want to start asking questions about purpose and meaning is the minute you need to reach for a belief system that isn't scientifically based. Because by definition, science is designed to exclude that. Um, don't look for purpose and meaning for human existence uh, in scientific um, exploration, because science is set up specifically to try to look at the world without that perspective. And this is why I think um, uh, you know I I don't make any bones about the fact that um, um, you know science and religion don't sit wonderfully comfortably together. Uh, because religious systems have have given us perspectives on the nature of reality, which which are about putting purpose and meaning. Um, you know that, that, is, that is all about us. Um, science is designed to exclude that, and therefore there's going to be um, a contact. There's going to be friction sometimes between the two. So the relationship will be uneasy. But let's make no bones about why that that uneasy relationship has to exist. Science works on the basis that we assume that this isn't about us it's not necessarily our story although i'd argue anyone uh, who becomes a scientist is interested ultimately in understanding where they come from and how the world around them is put together religious systems are all about helping us to come to terms with the world that we find ourselves living in and are designed in principle to help us find purpose and meaning in those lives
0: well, you see, I don't have
1: a problem with either of those yeah. systems, but they are, they are to a certain extent based on different sets of premises and
0: different sets of assumptions. Yeah, there's no doubt that there's, that there's different assumptions. But, you see, I, I part company at the point where the scientific enterprise, enterprise begins with too many assumptions. I mean, I, I agree with the testability principle. I agree that there's a methodological system to science. But what happens if in pursuing that method, you, you, wind, and, and, you and you hold off that dispassionate stance as long as you can, you hold off that Copernican mindset as long as you can, and then you find out that the very object of study is actually part of yourself, or it actually reflects back to you and you realize that you are partially responsible for the world you're studying and 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 that I think is really what what we're seeing now although it's really it's buried under a lot of a lot of doubt and and conditioning and it's not really that profound I mean quantum theory for example has this connection between consciousness and reality that some people shift back and forth over what the connection really is we have the fine tuning problem we have the anthropic principle we have a lot of these things which are which are which are showing to me that science is starting to reflect back back on itself Uh, i would i completely agree that if you reach that point it's got to be through uh, through methodology through systematic study through testing but i i don't think it helps science to always hold the physical world as being absolutely apart from it from from the study of science you see that's that i think is really really the the challenge right now and and you know i don't expect you to agree with me but i i just think that that's really the difference between um you know the orthodox scientists and some people that are starting to realize that maybe we play a bigger role in this big pi- in this picture than than we originally assumed.
1: Um, so uh, let me see if I can I can answer that. I mean I think the the, the, the issue is, is 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 simply one of, of perspective.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so the scientist adopting the Copernican principle does so in attempt to try to get outside of of, of himself or herself, to try to view the world, to try to make uh, to come to rational conclusions about the world that that isn't all about us uh, as human beings right. uh, necessarily. However, if there were unambiguous evidence taking you in the direction that it is all about us, I don't think you'd find any scientist um, right. willing to to argue against that. So this is not, Some people criticize science for being soulless. Uh, Its obsession with physical mechanism means that it diminishes human spirituality. Um, I don't think that's actually right. Um, There are some scientists who maybe view it that way. Uh, There are some scientists who act and and say things that lead to that as a a conclusion. But I think most people um, endeavoring, beavering away on scientific frontiers are perfectly rounded human beings, they all believe things that aren't necessarily um you know driven by evidence uh driven by scientific proof and and um you know they they have an uh, the the scientific methodologies that they adopt are simply ways of investigating nature that allow us to get a little bit outside of ourselves and ask the question okay so so what is it I'm dealing with, how has it come to look this way or act this way or be this way?" And and what can I I learn from that? What can I do with that? Um, and it's been extremely successful. Um, systems that are specifically designed to put us at the centre and make this all about us. I think um, uh, one can have a debate about how useful or valuable they will be in helping you then really understand the nature of the universe that we live in. But you know I don't see any um, specific reason to. Argue that there is there's there's no room for different belief systems depending on what it is you're trying to achieve yeah, well, uh, for no. yourself or for a community of people. But now, so the issue is, um, you, you mentioned quantum theory and the the fact that theories seem to be bringing bringing all of this back on ourselves. I, I would really point out that I I don't have a problem necessarily in telling anyone that there are things we don't understand. We just don't understand. Um, and I'm actually I'm excited by that, because it means that there may yet still be things to be discovered. Uh, we haven't got to the end of science, not by a long stretch. Right. Um, and by admitting that, um, different ways of interpreting quantum theory, to take one example, yes, involves a connection somehow with human consciousness, but it's an interpretation. You're going to have a real hard time ever proving a direct relationship between human consciousness and 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 physical measurements in in a, in a, in a laboratory, in a quantum physics laboratory. Um, and and this is again, is the kind of conclusion that I'm I'm trying to 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 have a little bit of a debate about. The anthropic principle and the development of ideas of the multiverse are a way again of 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 dealing with some of the incredible fine-tuning in physical laws and parameters that we find in the universe because we can't explain them and if we can't explain them that leaves us with a bit of a dilemma Um, okay so maybe and this is where the theory takes you maybe there's actually nothing particularly unique about the universe that we live in maybe it's one of a whole multitude of different universes all with different physical laws and different parameters And we just happen to find ourselves, not surprisingly, living in a universe that is conducive or or enables us to exist in the first place. That's basically anthropic reasoning. Uh, We're here because, well, you know, (laughs) we can only expect to find ourselves in a universe where we are possible. There are lots and lots of universes out there that uh, will not support our form of life, will not support the development of human consciousness, and therefore, by the way, you won't expect ever to find human observers. Um, perfectly logical, perfectly reasonable, but how do you prove that as a theory? And this is where I I lose it a little bit, saying, hang on, uh, I don't want to be mean here, I don't want to be the guy in the playground saying you can't play with these toys, but come on, if we're trying to do science, then let's bring it back down to the principle of testability. Let's find out, okay, if we think there are multiple universes, is that a theory that I can do anything with?
0: Yeah, I think that uh, the multiverse is a great sort of... uh example of fairy tale physics Uh, this is Philip Merton this is conversations beyond science and religion we're speaking with Jim Baggett the author of the new book farewell to reality how modern physics has betrayed the search for scientific truth and we're talking about the multiverse the anthropic principle a bunch of other very intriguing topics and I you know I think you've got to give Stephen Hawking credit for the grand design because i think he brought to the surface and who knows how much of that book he wrote as opposed to his co-author but but he brought to the surface this this question that is 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 out there uh maybe maybe um subtly but the question is what makes the multiverse science and and a belief in a Underlying spirit—I don't know if I want to use the word God—but an underlying unity, some kind of intelligence, um, not science, because I, I think that that really take it, Jim. That you you do classify the multiverse as fairy tale physics, right? Very much so. Right, right, and and again, it's because of the untestability, um, yeah. Uh, you know, among other things, and you have—I mean, to me, I think it's remarkable that. It's, it's okay to believe in a multiverse but it's not okay to take a step back and say hey maybe all this fine tuning is, is a product of an intelligence and, and I want to make myself very clear um, there, are, there are some folks such as me who when I use the word intelligence I don't mean going back to intelligent design and I don't mean uh, the God of the Bible I just mean it suggests something is going on Uh, you know like it's a setup job I forget whether I think Fred Hoyle said that Uh, you know there's something going on and I think that is fascinating and I think that deserves some attention and and so that's why I think the multiverse is is so interesting because the notion that there are I don't know 10 to the 500 or near infinity whatever however many other universes is so far out there and in fact so unsatisfying that I I'm not sure if you took a vote right now, you know. Uh, how many people would think that's science, and how many people would think an intelligence is not science? I'm not sure which which has more credibility. To be honest with you, so 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 so, where do you come down on, on this? I mean, where do you think the the multiverse is heading?
1: Well, I mean, I I, I can't help but, but feel that, that at some I mean, what 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 physics needs now is is is, is, is a breakthrough of some description. In fact, not, not coming from, from theorists, but coming from experiment. Um, it's real interesting. Um, um, again, most of your listeners, I think, will have be familiar with uh, the work that was done at CERN, uh, the Large Hadron Collider, over the last couple of years, building um, a data set that uh, proved the existence of this particle called the Higgs boson. As I say, Nobel Prizes were awarded just this last week Uh, for the theoretical discovery that led to the prediction uh, of the existence of this particle. Um, That's real, real good news. Um, It is a fantastic achievement, uh, but it's interesting that all it does is it puts a piece of the jigsaw puzzle into a theory called the Standard Model of Particle Physics that was actually developed back in the late 60s, early 70s. So there's a, a sense in which, even with this discovery, uh, we're no further forward in our understanding of um, elementary particle theory uh, than we were, uh, you know, at the beginning of the 1970s. Um, now that's not quite fair, but uh, there's a lot that, that actually has happened. Uh, but but in, in in terms of its formal structure, the theory is as it was, you know, 30 or 40 years ago. Alternative interpretations like string theory simply have not cut the mustard. They, they have not led to any single prediction. Uh, there's plenty of predictions for a bizarre array of new particles, um, and there was hope that at the Large Hadron Collider some of these particles would make themselves uh, known, would, would kind of put their hands up and say, hi, here I am. Um, that's not happened yet. Uh, nice. it, I, I cannot rule out that it won't happen when the uh, the, the collision energy of the Large Hadron Collider is, is being raised at the moment. So it's at the moment out of commission. It's being upgraded. And when it comes back on stream, I think sometime in early 2015, there may be some new results. And I think that's what physics desperately needs. We need a new experimental result, something that we maybe even weren't expecting. that will have all the theorists go, wow. Um, I'll look at what? Yeah. How on earth do I now explain this? And it gives them something tangible to 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 charge after and 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 start to you know to work their theories to explain.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure if there's anybody that has ever um, so clearly raised raised the question of why the authorized version of reality can't be true. I mean, that that's a uh, I think a section in your book that yeah. I think a lot of people may not understand and probably maybe don't want to understand the standard model, but I, I th- it's extremely important though because anytime someone uses a standard model, or the term standard model or authorized version, they think that that is the a consistent model that will explain everything. You know, it's a standard model. Yeah. It's it's like yeah. a it's like a, a lens of vi- you know a vision that y- that you use to understand something. And when it's applied to the universe at large, it has this aura of fitting everything into it. But as you point out, and as others have pointed out, I mean, the standard model by of physics by definition doesn't include everything, right? No, it,
1: it, it can't um, for the simple reason that that. Um, any attempt to put quantum theory and the general theory of relativity together um, gives you, you know, um, mathematical structures that explode.
0: Right. Uh,
1: they, they, it just doesn't work. Right. Um, so a whole different kind of structure is needed, which is what the string theorists, uh, frankly, are, right. uh, are are so excited about. Right. But the the problem is it: forty years of development of string theory has not led to a single prediction that yeah. is, that has been uh, testable, and that that's that's a problem for me. Yeah. So. Um, uh, it was, and, and so the, the uh, ambition, I guess, in the book was, was, was not to try and just just hit these guys over the heads and say, well, hang on, this isn't science that you're doing. It's actually almost uh, a little bit sympathetic to the dilemma that we face. Where do we go from here? Right. We know that this structure, I wouldn't say it's not true. I, what I would say is it's not the whole story, not, not by a long shot. And how you want to fill the gaps, of course, again, is entirely up to you. I trained as a scientist so I'm looking for scientific rational scientific approaches to filling the gaps um, and um, and that's what the theorists are tra- chasing after but as I say they've become so obsessed with their structures that they are now they're now offered a tangent uh, creating fairy tale physics and seem to be happy and satisfied that they're now off beam uh, with these structures uh, with no real hope of ever getting kind of back on track. Yeah. And like I say, it will take a maybe a dramatic discovery at a facility uh, uh, such as the Large Hadron Collider to get everyone with renewed energy focused on on answering some difficult questions. But simple fact of the matter is, the simple truth is that we're at that stage now in the development of our understanding of the physical world that um, although we have these gaps and we know we don't have the whole story, it is very very difficult to anticipate um, you know where the next big discovery is likely to come from. Um, And we face up to the fact that we might be genuine at the end of of anything that can be discovered. I personally don't believe that, but there's a good argument that says that maybe it's going to take a 100 years before we have some observation or some measurement that that, really changes fundamentally the way that we we understand the world. At the same time, I want to be absolutely clear that this authorized version of reality, even though these theories don't quite comfortably sit alongside one another, the fact of the matter is, we shouldn't underestimate the power of them. They, I mean, as far as the the physical world that we live in and want to manipulate, and, and you know we want to make smartphones and computers and and telecommunications and all aspects of modern living, um, we understand how all of that works um, and 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 more. Uh, so, these theories are extremely powerful. Um, the kinds of energies which protons are smashing together at the Large Hadron Collider when it was running last year, are the kinds of energies that prevailed in the universe one trillionth of a second after the Big Bang. So we are able to kind of push our understanding of of how the universe has evolved um, according to the uh, standard model of Big Bang cosmology to to literally um, everything from the first trillionth of a second onwards. Um, and the kind of gaps and uncertainties we have are with literally about that first trillionth of a second, and, and here we have to throw up our arms and say our theories don't work here because they were never designed to work in that kind of uh, domain. So in these, you know, it's a tremendous intellectual achievement. It is a fantastic structure, but we know it's not the whole truth. And for me, <laughs> that's that. I, th- I just think that's great. I just think acknowledging that and and being comfortable with that. Acknowledges the fact that, um, well, you know, hey, this is a human endeavor and uh, it's it's flawed in some places. Um, Yeah, okay, so maybe we can push here and maybe we can push there and get a little bit more understanding. But I can guarantee you um, building uh, on the next big discovery will probably just lead to as many questions as it gives us answers. And I think that's actually just the nature of human endeavor. We'll probably never know. We'll never know the mind of God, as I think someone, uh, 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 Hawking has used that kind of analogy in the past. And if you want to go there, if you want to invoke God in that particular sense, or you, you want to invoke some, some form of of intelligence or some, some form of creator that, that, that has, without necessarily over-designing this according to some kind of, um, of big script, nevertheless, set things up in a way that they got off to the kind of start that, uh, that, you know, that we can begin to understand, then there's an argument that says, you know, will, you know, as, as do human beings ever have the capability of understanding, um, you know, you know, what has created this?
0: Yeah, there's so many, there's so many, this is such a, a, a great topic. In fact, I think it really is the, the topic of our age, and I think that, you know, Books like yours and books by um, others, such as Lee Smolin or Rupert Sheldrake, that are that are bringing these topics to the front, are, are are really what we need because I think we need, you know, a a public a public discourse on this. More, you know, we need to bring this down to the masses and and make it more of an open, you know, an open debate. I, you know, and you put your finger on something that I think is really important. That even though we're sitting here thinking, you know. Talking about the 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 lack of a theory of everything or an overarching unified theory, there's no doubt that that the standard model works and quantum theory works and general relativity works and and so it's not as if you could just throw them out. <laughs> the um, it, you know every time I I have discussions like this I I I think of the Einstein quote that you didn't use in your book the one that uh, that others. Others use something like uh, "you can't solve a problem with the same level of consciousness that that started it." I mean, I I think that part of the problem with physics right now is that they're not looking to transcend the theories. They're 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 playing in the same sandbox, and and it it takes it takes a leap of of consciousness and i don't mean any i don't mean like some kind of spiritual enlightenment i just mean taking a different vision of things different view of things from a different perspective that i I think will ultimately you know lead to some kind of unity now i don't want to conclude this show without you defining fairy tale physics because i think we're assuming we know what it is but but you use the term in your book, and so and, and you probably have already said it. But for the listener who may be wondering, well, what what is fairy tale physics, Jim? Why don't you why don't you give why don't you, why don't you give us a, a,
1: a okay? Well, so so to be, so be absolutely clear, fairy tale physics is is a term that I have used in this book. Uh, it's not a, a term in common use. Um, it's not a, a term that has grown um, within the community. Uh, I'm not part of some movement within yeah. science. Uh, so this is very much a personal take on what I see happening. Um, and um, so the, the object of the book, the aim of the book really is to, is to just to try to explain um, that um, the authorized version of reality has some gaps, it has some flaws. Um, there are theoretical approaches to filling these gaps, trying to push these theories to work um, more comfortably together with each other. Um, and these uh, theories, uh, string theory, supersymmetry, um, the, the, the overarching M theory, which is actually, honestly, not even a theory; it's just a, uh, um, it's a hypothesis. Uh, because what happened was that as string theory was developed, very diff- uh, many different varieties of string theory were discovered. Uh, these are all great theoretical ideas, but I think we've reached that stage in the development of our understanding of the physical world that. Um, the ideas have become all-important. And and so what we have is a community of of theorists who are in pursuit of ideas. They're in pursuit of of mathematics, and they're in pursuit of a truth, which is what I call a coherence truth. So this theory agrees with that theory over here. And that's true. Okay, yeah, that's a form of truth uh, called a coherence truth. What we've lost sight of a little bit, um, well, perhaps more than a little bit, but um is is what I call correspondence truth so i have this theory i'm able to make a prediction i predict that uh, the large hadron collider at cern should find this new particle that no one's ever seen before with this kind of energy or even if i can't go that far you know this particle should exist and it will be found and and what we've we found in 40 years of string theory development m theory development is that is is we haven't we just haven't got there and the challenge is, um, given that there's this lock, la- a lack of co- connection any longer between the correspondence between theory and um, and an experiment, is that's what I call fairy tale physics. Yes. Um, the idea is everything. Uh,